Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. And today I have with me my lovely and beautiful, amazing, significant other and co-host, Deborah Mikas. Hello. <laughs> and, and today we'll be interviewing Pie Provisions and the owners, Lauren and Cody Bolden from Woodstock, Georgia. How are you guys doing today? Hey, we're good. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, we're good. Thank you. Well, so um, before we're talking, we know that both of you guys went to Georgia College. Is that how you guys met each other? And tell us a little bit about that and, and sort of your journey to being owners of Pride Provisions. No, so we actually um, met in middle school. Lauren and I went to the same middle school and started dating in high school and uh, went to two separate colleges to start with and then ended up at Georgia College. Yes, I caught his eye in eighth grade, and he's never been able to look away. <laughs> so did you have braces? It seems like the prime braces age. <laughs> braces and glasses. Oh, wow. Uh, both yeah. Both. Okay, yes. cute. Uh, I, I'm picturing it. She, she Love on the playground. in eighth grade. <laughs> oh, hey. We were able to... Uh, <laughs> we met in middle school, but then started dating in high school and then all through college. And you're correct. We ended up getting to go to Georgia College in Milledgeville and graduated there. And then after college, we both kind of got traditional jobs. Cody uh, went north uh, above Atlanta to Jasper, Georgia. And then I got a job at the Capitol in, Georgia, in Atlanta. And so... Um, once we got married, we figured, well, I guess we should live together now. And we <laughs> logical step, logical step. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we're so traditional. And so we moved to this town called Woodstock in between both Jasper and Atlanta. Um, and, and kind of just had that normal daily routine and daily life of get up in the morning and, and take an hour and a half drive to work both ways, oh, <laughs> you know, me and Brutal. I out there an hour and a half home and, and same for him. And, uh, we knew that this is not for us. This can't be it. And so we'd always kind of had the idea of wanting to start some kind of business, but never really took a leap on it or, or really gave too much thought to it until I guess 2014. Yeah. I had started baking a lot. And um, with my job at the Capitol, I was really fortunate to be surrounded by really great produce and, and Georgia grown ingredients. Farmers were bringing it to the governor's mansion a lot. And, and I was able to kind of get to experience that. And it inspired me to start baking pies. And so one day Cody was like, well, your pies are great, but you're spending a lot of money. <laughs> you're spending a lot of money to make these pies and you're giving them away. And so true to my form, I said, well, okay, well, I'll just sell them. And so I like it. Uh, yeah. Great. Like they're expensive. Like we'll pay for them. We'll, we'll start, we'll start selling them. So um, we quickly got a little business license and I started selling them around town wherever we could. And, uh, you know, I guess it kind of morphed into taking over our lives. We did pie all the time. We would work <laughs> and uh, bake pie and sell pie Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and then it came to the point where it was like, well, we need to either keep doing this or or not, but we can't do both our jobs and baking all of these pies. Right. Your time so, is just soaked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, we got to that point, which at the time I didn't realize, but as our businesses have grown, it, it's that point where it's like, well, we need to commit. Like we either have to grow or we're going to, 
die, right? Like either the business is going to die or it's going to grow. And so we decided, well, let's grow it. So we quit our jobs and we opened our pie shop. And so we have a pie shop where people can come in in downtown Woodstock. Um, You can get a slice of pie or a whole pie. And and that was where kind of everything started. Okay, wait a second. So you guys both have full-time jobs and you both simultaneously Mm -hmm. decided to quit your job. So were you already selling a substantial amount of pie that you were like, okay, we can replace both our incomes? Or you just felt like no. you, there was enough potential. <laughs> I mean, it seems like that. maybe yeah. one of you would have would have quit your job, but you both did. Yes. Yeah, no. The easy answer to that is no. Um, no, it wasn't substantial. I mean, it was it was okay, and it was enough to decide that okay, we could start a business, but it wasn't like we could start this business tomorrow and it would support us right away. So um, we went through and got an SBA loan which was really just used for the the build out of our space and then just a little bit of working capital to start with. Um, but fortunately, we both had decent jobs going in um, to opening our shop. So we had a little bit of money put away that would get us by um, about three or four months without needing it, which was still probably not the most cushion that you'd like to have, but that's what we decided we wanted to do. And we're pretty fortunate in the sense that Cody and I, when we started Pie Bar, our, our shop, it was 2015. So we were 25. We didn't have children. We didn't own a home. We had a dog and we were like, well, we're eating ramen noodles. And now so is our dog. (laughs) We were able to cut, you know, we were able to really get excited about something. And because of the place we were at in our lives, we were able to completely commit to that. I know a lot of people um, aren't able to do that. I know how fortunate we were for that. We we were able to say like, okay, well, we don't need cable. We don't need internet. We moved into a tiny two bedroom, like $600 a month house. Like we just cut costs completely. And we put all of our time and money and energy into our business, which I guess fortunately worked out. Yeah. And I'll say too, um, we didn't, we didn't necessarily go into it thinking that as a matter of fact, we figured that uh, Lauren would work at the shop by herself and naively thought that, okay, if somebody walks in, she can walk up to the front register and take care of the customer. And when they leave, she can go back in the kitchen and work on (laughs) kitchen stuff. And uh, so we had Lauren's mom help us. And then I was here for the first day and that was it. I mean, after the first day of being open, we knew right then that he called his boss and said, I'm not coming back. (laughs) Like he, he, I had quit my job July 30th of, uh, 2015 and decided that we were going to open pie bar September 1st of that same year. And so we had 30 days. And so Cody was like, okay, well I'll come and help you with build out like on the weekends. And when I get off of work and then September 1st, he worked, he was like, okay, I'll tell Dennis, like, I'm going to take off a couple of days, use some vacation days. And then, um, like all, you know, we'll hire somebody if we need to eventually. And on the first day we opened, he said, it's just not possible. Like, I'm not going back to work. I'm going to stay here and do this. That's, I, that's so great. You know, and I love the fact too, that you guys mentioned that when you started your business that you guys were young and you didn't, you know, I remember because when I started my first company, I was really young and my mom said, I was so nervous about it because I had to quit a job that was paying same as you guys, you know, and 
I just remember her telling me, she said, Deborah, you don't have far to fall. You know, like this is the time to go for it. She's like, it's a lot harder to start a company if you're this really established person, you have all this stuff and all this overhead. And, but when you're young, that's the perfect time to go out and try and do it. So I love that you guys saw that and you were like, okay, let's just go for it. That's, that's so great. Yeah. And it, you know, and it was a calculated decision on the other end. We had a lot of people telling us, um, like this is, it's going to take over your life and it's going to do this and that and the other, but it really didn't matter. Like what they, we had blinders on and we were going to do this and it, <laughs> it didn't matter what kind of warning signs we may have seen coming in. We were going to do it anyway. Um, but it's the truth. I mean, like I said, we went in with that mindset of, um, we're going to do this. We're going to work hard to do it. And if, if all else fails, We'll just go back to work and pay the loan off and, <laughs> right. you know, talk about this. We try. So you so, guys said earlier on that you had always thought that you would maybe start a business or something. So did you guys mm-hmm. come from a family that, that had a background in having a business or why was that always kind of in your head? Is there something that you, just because you guys had talked about it or you, or I mean, what, what about your lives led you to both think that maybe you guys would end up owning your own companies? I think for me, especially, I don't know about you, Cody, I found that I did not like having a boss and I didn't have bad bosses. I had great bosses, right? but I didn't love the idea of not getting to do what I, I wanted. Um, I worked for the government, which probably made it even worse. <laughs> right. Because, yeah. Because not a lot not of freedom only I have there a boss, or creativity. Uh, but I also had the mega boss, like big brother telling me no. Right. So I knew pretty quickly, like, this just isn't for me. I want to be able to make the decisions without having to ask somebody else. I want to be able to create a path. And if it's successful, be able to own that. And then if it's not successful, be able to pivot quickly and make a call without having to run it by other people. I know as our business grows, that obviously is going to shift a little bit. Um, And I know people that are in much larger businesses don't quite live by those terms anymore. Um, But currently, it's something that we're able to experience. And I really enjoy that part of owning a business. Yeah, and, and same for me. I don't necessarily come from a, a family of entrepreneurs either, but it was just, I don't know, it was something that was just kind of lived inside, I guess, and uh, always something that I never knew what direction I would have wanted to take uh, in, in terms of, like, opening a business, and that's, you know, Warren had the passion for pie, and that's kind of where it all came in together. It just worked out. Oh, that's a good saying, so, passion for pie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> write it down. Yeah. <laughs> And so, so we had, oh, go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, no. I just had a quick question. Um, so the name of your location is actually Pi Bar. Is that correct? Correct. So we started Pi Bar in 2015. And so Pi Bar is, and we're sitting in it right now, actually, amongst the pies. Um, <laughs> we have a, a space where our community can come in and they can enjoy a slice of pie. They can take home a whole pie. And it gave us an opportunity to serve the people here in Woodstock and then their family and friends when they would come to visit. And something that we found a lot was people were coming in and asking if we um, – were able to ship pies. And at the time we weren't. And so we said, you know, no, I'm so sorry. You'll have to be here in Woodstock. And we started to recognize that there were people really wanting and missing 
the connection that pie has created in their lives, whether it was their grandmother made them a pie or whether it was um, they themselves enjoyed baking pies. But a lot of people came in and said they wish that they had this feel and this experience at home. And so we decided, well, why don't we create that? Why don't we create a product that people can purchase either online or in their local store or even at our shop that will take a little piece of our shop with them, um, but it'll give them that experience of being able to create a pie from scratch, but with our help at home. So we decided we should launch Pie Provisions, and that company is essentially how we got to meet, which is really exciting. But Pie Provisions is a DIY, so a do-it-yourself pie company. We help people bake their best pies at home. And we sell easy-to-use pie crust mixes, and we sell um, Southern-inspired pie fillings. So somebody can make a pie at home using our crust mix. We kind of talk them through each step and make it really simple and really enjoyable and really fun. And then they can use our filling by just opening it up and pouring it in the jar and baking themselves a pie. So it's homemade. Everything is actually made um, here in our store, which is really exciting. All of our fillings are, we hand can all of those and, and you're getting to create a great product without having to suffer and struggle by to constantly search for recipes online. And so we were excited about it. So I wanted to ask you before we dive too far into your business, um, do you, so you mentioned how people kind of missing the, the, how pie was a part of their lives and stuff. So was it a part of yours is, did you start with a family recipe or is it just something you enjoy or why, why pie? I mean, of all the things you could make from fresh produce, how did you come up with pie? Sure. So I was always the pie maker at Thanksgiving every year. That's what I did was I made pie and I did the standard thing. I went to the grocery store and bought the already rolled out crust and made a pie and really enjoyed it. And I really loved how excited other people were when I presented a pie. I think there's just this beautiful nostalgia really ingrained in pie, whereas maybe you don't get that same reaction with cake or cupcakes or or Pie, for some reason, just really connects people with memories and with their past, which is something that's truly unique, I think, to that dessert. And so I always made the pies growing up. That's kind of what I did. And when it came time that I had access to all of this really great Georgia-grown produce and it was time for me to make something, I just could remember how happy people were when I put a pie on the table or how excited they were when I gave them a pie or to be frank, how impressed they were because not very many people made right. pies. And I, I wanted that feeling again and again and again. Yeah, well, and same for me. I don't necessarily come from a, a line of pie bakers either other than at Thanksgiving my mom would make um, pecan pie. And it was a very, like she didn't make her own crust. It was the same thing she bought the pre-rolled dough but it was still i knew every thanksgiving that that's what we'd be eating and that's where it came from so even though we don't necessarily or i didn't have a like a long line of homemade pie makers it still you know had that feeling to just it that one pie that's yeah. really i think that's something that's so special there's so many people with that same story of what we just had across I mean, across the United States, I like to think across the world, but that we all knew this very specific time of year, we were going to be able to experience this really special thing. So for Cody, it was pecan pie. For me, it was apple pie. And 
I think that we just kind of latched onto that. I think nostalgia is super powerful emotion. And um, I love that pie is a vessel for that. Right. And we talk about this on the podcast a lot. When people emotionally attach themselves to a food product, the success is, is unbelievable. It's one of the reasons we do the podcast because we feel like if we can tell people's story also, it helps people get emotionally attached to your guys' products. But for me, it's apple pie. I don't know what type of mm-hmm. pie for Deborah, but I do know that you made a lasting memory with your oh blueberry God. pie. Oh, my God. I mean, I would say historically my favorite is apple pie. But then when we were at uh, Flavor of Georgia and you guys were there, and I kept – they had these miniature pies that they had made. And it was unbelievable. You guys were even, I think, cutting them in half. But I would come by, yes. and you guys were so yes. sweet, and you kept giving me whole ones. I think I ate four. <laughs> They're absolutely That's amazing. Fine. I mean, I was blown away. I'm a, you have a fan for life, for sure. And Thank so, you. Thank you. I know. I'm like, oh, Deborah, I've, I've had to try everything, everything as a judge. Are you hungry for dinner? I'm like, we could do something like She's like, no, but if you can get me more of that pie, I know. that would be great. I'd like a whole pie for dinner. Yeah. Well, it's funny because mm-hmm. Justin judges at the Flavor of Georgia, and he's done it now, mm-hmm. I think, four times. And, you know, this year he's like, do you want to do it? And I was like, no. You know, like, it's you have to eat, like, 10,000 calories or something. Yeah. And I'm like, if I'm going to eat 10,000 calories, I'm going to go over to Pie Provisions from now on <laughs> i know where i'm gonna uh, where i'm gonna use my calories <laughs> what's funny about that pie too because we were talking about nostalgia is those blueberries come from um waynesboro georgia which is where we grew up which is where lauren and i actually met um so we have a really cool connection with Bynes blueberry farms and mr Bine, and uh he's in the school system he was actually a substitute teacher in some of our classes in high school so it's neat to be able to to not only use that great blueberry, which is an organic blueberry, but also have like a very neat connection with it for us as well. It's exciting because we, for the past four years, have called him up and said, hey, Mr. Brian, we're coming down. Or we'll say, you know, hey, can you make a delivery? And he'll bring blueberries. And over the past year or so, one of his daughters has joined the team. And it's really exciting and fun to be able to reconnect with somebody that we went to high school with. This is a girl that we grew up with. And now she's carrying on and, and working in her family business and being able to not only say that we support Georgia grown produce, but to be able to truly live it and see it. Like we go and we see her and we pick up our blueberries. And I think that's really special and really cool and kind of helps um, contribute to the overall feel of pie bar and pie provisions. Well, and we, uh, we interviewed uh, Dick on episode 62 and just the whole blueberry farms. And, and he was like the first organic blueberry our, our first organic farmer in Georgia, as well as like the third yeah. organic farmer in the entire United States, which is just blows my mind. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It blows yeah, my mind. Yeah, it was mind. really neat. It was, a, I know, a really proud day for him uh, this year at Flavor of Georgia because I believe he had a sauce in it that won as well. Mm-hmm. And then his blueberries and our blueberry pie filling that, that won as well. So I was... I was proud for him, but I know it was a very exciting day for him as well. Yeah, it was a blueberry day. His blueberry barbecue <laughs> sauce is a, mm-hmm. an amazing product. And so I, I just so let's talk about a little bit. I, I want to come back to blueberries because I think they're such an important part of Georgia. But I want to look at it as a bigger picture. But so first, 
um, what type of pies do you guys sell and what type of pies are you guys creating in pie provision? So what are your two different options? One as a, a finished product and then obviously one as the do it yourself as we talked about uh, pie provisions. So all of our pie provisions, canned fillings are made in our kitchen and they're, they're all made based on our recipes here at the shop. So we currently have a tart cherry, a ginger peach, a Georgia blueberry, and a bourbon pecan. And so the bourbon pecan is, we make it here at our shop every day. It's our one of our best sellers. Our tart cherry is a really popular one. We do it through pie provisions. It's just so beautiful in the jar, but it was a really popular summer flavor here at Pie Bar. Um, ginger peach, we actually don't offer at Pie Bar. I wanted something a little bit special. We do a peach crumble at Pie Bar, but I wanted something you could easily go to the grocery store and buy a jar of canned peaches or frozen peaches. And, and I wanted to be able to create something that had our beautiful Georgia peaches in it, which it does, but also just give it something fun and a little bit unique. And it feels really young. And we're really excited about the ginger peach. It actually sold out this season. So I think we have a couple of jars left on some shelves. Uh, I know at our shop and maybe a couple other places across the country, but other than that, those you can't even buy anymore until next summer. Um, And then our Georgia blueberries, We actually make a blueberry crumble every day in our shop as well. And our recipe is is the same across the board for that one. We're really proud of that pie. It's one of our first original pies. And again, because we have such a special connection with Mr. Vine and Vine's Blueberry Farms, we're so proud to be able to offer that. Um, And then if you were to walk into our store and get a slice of pie, we've got a couple of options that we don't currently can. So we have a a salted caramel apple streusel pie. We do a chocolate chest pie. We do a lot of seasonal flavors. So currently we have a key lime and a lemon chest. And we just try and create pies that people recognize but have something a little bit special about them. So instead of doing just an apple pie, although traditional apple pie is delicious and and people definitely connect with that. We wanted to be able to offer something with a little bit of uh, a fun flair to it, something with a little bit of um, just like personal excitement about it. And so that's why we do a salted caramel apple streusel instead of a traditional apple. That's That's why we do a bourbon chocolate pecan (laughs) yeah, instead of a pecan. And and so we try and understand our, our customer base is somebody who connects with pie and loves the traditional flavors, but is open to exploring little variations off of that traditional flavor. So you guys are located in Woodstock, Georgia, and kind of what's the size of it? Is it, is it bigger than, is it a little town like Milledgeville? Is it like, how big is your town? Yeah, it's, it's smaller than Milledgeville. So Woodstock really, there's a commercial side to it. And then there's more of a downtown district and our shop is right on main street and downtown uh, Main Street itself, as far as that business district, I would say is maybe half a mile, three quarters of a mile long. Mm-hmm. So it's not a very big town at all, but it's really over the past um, five or six years just been bursting at the seams. So um, we owe a lot of our success uh, to the community of Woodstock. So um, when we first got started, Lauren mentioned how we lived here and then getting out in the markets and events. It just kind of took here and the people and the community really started supporting us. And, uh, I mean, that's why that first day when we opened, 
I was able to say, like, I'm not going back to my other job. This is what we're doing. It's because um, we had kind of already been out and done a lot of grassroots in terms of getting out and meeting people. And, and yeah, since we've opened, um, the community has just supported us. Woodstock is a special place. There's a lot of places, I think, probably throughout Georgia and across the country that really promote shopping local and spending time in your town. But I think that Woodstock not only promotes it, but truly embodies it. We're really fortunate that we sold our pies at the farmer's market before we opened our shop. And it just so happened to be one street over. So for an entire a uh, year, we were able to stand a street over from downtown and connect with people and say, yeah, one day we'd love to have a shop here. And then, you know, when I quit my job in July and said, oh, by the way, we are opening a shop here. I was able to continue to serve the same customers on a week by week basis and then point up and say, our shop's going to be like 12 steps that way. <laughs> right. And so it was really exciting to see it grow from us being able to serve people that came to our local farmer's market to them still coming to our shop now and, and just the, the true, I mean, just the well, true people coming in and wanting to spend their time, but also their money is huge for a small business. And we're really fortunate for that. Yeah. And that's what I think is special is, is like what Lauren was getting at is um, I, I think people really love the idea of having a small town feel and lots of independently owned stores, but a lot of towns don't necessarily support that. I think they have that idea of what they want it to be, but they're not necessarily going out and um, supporting it and spending time in that community. And And that's something our city does a really good job of, um, like the downtown authority of, of getting people out and in and downtown, putting lots of events on, and then just the community itself coming out and supporting not only us, but all of the little businesses in our town. So if someone were to come into Pie Bar, they can probably get a grab-and-go pie if they are having a party. Mm-hmm. Um, and then do you have tables and chairs where they can sit down and have a slice and a cup of coffee or, or also add ice cream or a glass of milk? Or is that what that's like? Or is there more to your menu? You can get a glass of milk and a scoop of ice cream, which <laughs> is uh, uh, the way we prefer it uh, all, all right. the way. Yeah. Um, but we're we're... We are technically a retail bakery, so everything comes to go. So um, part of that, when we got our space, we kind of just fell into it, but we were willing to take whatever we could get on Main Street. And uh, based on the sizing of our space, um, it just turned out to be a retail bakery in terms of codes and how many bathrooms we've had. But it's really kind of worked to our advantage because we are a smaller space. Um but, yeah, we have a few outside tables, and we have some seating inside. We have about six bar stools. We have a small seating area that's got some soft side seating, so couches and chairs. And generally, when we opened, I think we probably didn't know what to expect. We opened with the idea of this is what our money can buy. This right. is what we can afford. Let's just get in and open and, and figure it out. And to be honest, I think it's really important to address when we first opened, there was a little bit of pushback. People wanted to be able to come in and expected more of a coffee shop feel where they could order a latte and sit down and hang out and use their computer and maybe have a slice of pie. And that just wasn't 
one, our vision, that's not what we wanted to do, but two, that's not what we could afford. Our, our money could get us a thousand square feet. At the time, 800 of the square feet were kitchen. Yeah, about, about <laughs> so, seven, yeah so our retail is about 300 square yeah, feet. So, okay, so 700 square feet was kitchen. So we had 300 square feet to figure out how can we best serve our community and create an experience that people are going to really enjoy, even if it's not the experience they came in anticipating. Right. So we've really spent the past four years listening to what our customers are saying and figuring out realistically what are the things that we can do to make for a better experience. So it's doing things like events outside and creating, um, we love doing these little parking lot parks where we'll put seating outside and we'll block off a couple of parking spaces and we'll, you know, kind of partner up with Friday Night Live and people can hang out there during the evening or we're happy to recommend like grab a slice of pie here. And then across the street's a really great coffee shop. Like if you're looking for that, sit down, you're going to hang out for a couple of hours and, and get a specialty coffee drink, like grab a slice of pie here and head over there. And then you're supporting two businesses in one. Um, and then we've also just kind of been able to be honest and engage with people in a, a fun and funny way. They'll ask like, Oh, do y'all, do coffee and we say yeah we, we do coffee and it's two ways like black or with cream like we don't <laughs> have an espresso machine like you come in and, and for us our number one goal is to give people a great experience around a slice of pie so for me that means we need to serve them really really well when they come in we're going to make sure we're being so welcoming and kind and caring and that we're not just trying to create a transaction, but we're trying to create a connection with them. Right. And then two is that slice of pie. Yes, it is coming in a plastic to go container. And sometimes that could take away from the experience. So we want to make sure that that pie is so freaking good that they don't <laughs> even care. Right. And fortunately for us, it's really kind of created um, a bit of a niche market. A lot of, I would say 70% of our customers come in and we'll ask them, do you want to eat it here? Do you want it to go? If they eat it here, it still comes in the to-go container, but at least that way we can kind of prep them for it a little bit. And the majority of them say, oh no, I'm taking it home. My husband and I are eating it after dinner tonight while we're watching our show on Netflix. Or we've really been able to connect with the demographic that is enjoying spending time at home. Uh, I think probably five, 10 years ago, not very many people were in that demographic. Right. And, and as we've seen, like, I think there, there's been stats going out that like takeout is going to go up like 40% over the next several years because people are excited about being home. They're excited about spending time in that space that they feel really comfortable. So we just want to make sure while they're here, we create a good experience. And then when they take our pie to go, that they, that experience is continued because they enjoy it so much. Yeah. And, and, and two within our city here, they don't, they just recently done a streetscaping plan where they've put out ben benches and we've got a park really close by. So if they're not eating it here, they're able to go and enjoy it too, um, just down the street. And then we, we really, for the feedback that we got on maybe not what people were expecting when they've come in, we've started trying to get ahead of it now. And now we have a uh, marketing program towards cozy space, tasty pies. Uh-huh. I like that. I like it too. If Deborah just woke up, I, she asked a question, but she almost passed out when you guys said the apple strudel pie. I think she was okay. <laughs> I was just worried she wasn't going to get back alive again. She sort of just went into this fantasy land of pie land over here. 
Um, so tell me about a little more about this space. I mean, because you mentioned you got an SBA loan, um, which let's let's take a step back, actually, in my question, because a lot of people don't even know what that's like. I mean, how did you come up with the idea to get an SBA loan? And, you know, what were the steps you guys had to take in order to get that? I mean, did you sign personal guarantees? Because I think there's a, a lot of depth there, but it's not as easy to get as everyone thinks. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, I can start that one with we got denied four times before we actually got the loan. So we were 25 at the time, I think freshly 25, just coming off of 24 um, <laughs> and didn't really. I mean, we didn't own a, we didn't own a home. We had uh, credit cards that we were using to try and build credit, but we didn't we didn't for one. We had good credit, but we didn't have a long length of credit or anything that really had any uh, substance behind it. Yeah. So. Um, honestly, what happened is uh, the first bank I reached out to, um, which I think was a, maybe a credit union, they said, well, you should apply for this, which was the SBA. Um, or they hooked me up with the SBA office, which is we're really close to Kennesaw State University. We're about 15 minutes from there and they have an SBA office. And she said, you should go to them and they'll help you get um, your financial projection straightened out and in a position to where when you reach out for the SBA loan, everything looks like it should. Because I had done, um, you know, one and two year projections, but they were just, you know, in my Excel spreadsheet based on what I thought it should look like. Um, so anyway, they <clears throat> we owe a lot to the SBA because that's what I did. I went in with my projections. He said, okay, these look great, but you should put them in this format um, because this is what they're going to be looking for. So we applied for, um, I think, one another one, and it got denied. He said, okay, since that one got denied, I've got this bank in Utah that, that pretty much gives loans to anybody. It's like, okay, great. This is our, um, this is our like, fail-safe net. Well, he, uh, we submitted for that loan and also got denied. So at this You're point, like, oh, we started no. getting <laughs> yeah, yeah, we started getting a Stress. little bit <laughs> yeah. Uh, shaky. Yeah, because we had already had our mind made up. This is what we were doing. Like there wasn't going to be, we were going to figure it out. So um, we finally reached out to another bank, a smaller bank up in Jasper, Georgia, and uh, and they gave it to us and they took a chance on us. And I think we. Um, we were searching for a hundred thousand. That's what we were, we were reaching out for is trying to get a hundred thousand. And yeah, we did. We had to put up, uh, we had to sign for a personal guarantee. And then um, we have a little bit of property in the family that we were able to put up as collateral. So basically uh, everything was covered in, in terms of the finances and what they were looking for. Um, and yeah, so we ended up finally getting it and we're able to build out the space and didn't, we only used about half of it, which was great. Um, but it was really nervous. So the first day we opened, um, they were in line to get pie. When they kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were in line to get pie. Well, I guess going back real quick before yeah, that sure. is, is I think a hundred thousand dollars sounds, I guess it depends on who your audience is. Somebody, one person could say that's a lot of money and then somebody else could say <laughs> that is nothing. <laughs> and so for us at the time, that was a lot of money. And so um, we were really cautious and really careful about everything we built out. We have um, been very fortunate that there's a lot of other really young entrepreneurs in our community that are growing and learning. And I am so 
proud and pleased when they reach out to us and say, hey, can we come by Pi Bar and talk to you? Like we see what you're doing and we kind of want to chat with you about it. And that's so exciting because four years ago I was making those phone calls and I still am making those phone calls to other businesses that I really look to. Um, but I think the biggest thing is we tell them that like, okay, we took a hundred thousand dollars. We used 50 of it. And realistically we could have used more. If you look around, not all of this was built in that first 30 days or that first 365 days. So when we opened, we bought everything used. We bought I mean, the bare minimum until we could no longer get by with the bare minimum. And then we upgraded. And I think that's something really important to think about. If, if somebody's looking to start a business, whether it's a retail store like Pi Bar, or if it's like an online DIY company like Pi Provisions, you don't have to start at the top. Like you just have to start. And so when we made our first round of, of pie fillings for pie provisions, like we didn't make it in a giant, beautiful kettle. We made it in a tiny little one and we had to do like 12 batches to, (laughs) to, you know, fill what we could get on it. So it would take like four days to make a couple of cases. Whereas now we can make a bunch of cases in a couple hours. And that doesn't just happen. The same with pie bar is, you don't, we, we didn't have the capacity to do everything we do now in the very beginning. And so it, it took some time. And, and on that first day, our bank came in and, and it was shit show. <laughs> first of a nightmare. We forgot ridiculous things like pie boxes and pie servers And so they're waiting in line and we're like, you know, hello, how are you? And they're just terrified. Like, oh my God, who did we just give a hundred thousand dollars to? But we got their pie and we got them out as quickly as we could. And I think they're pleased. We've been paying them back and and (laughs) (laughs) we haven't defaulted on a loan payment. Yeah. And, and so when it came time to build out and grow our space for pie provisions, we were able to um, go back to them and and get a second loan. And, and, you know, they've trusted us enough to do it twice, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, Well, now you have some credit. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. At least with them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'll say too. Um, there's something humbling about starting like that as well. I mean, we just did it at a necessity at the time. Um, but it's just, you know, Lauren and I don't come from families that are like incredibly wealthy or anything like that. So it, it not only did it give us an opportunity um, to to start with the equipment, but it gave us an opportunity to, to work in it and understand what it takes to to be in a business like this. So when it came to managing people, um, we knew what to expect from them because it's the same thing we had been through. So we're not telling anybody to do something that we think that's the way it should go. We're telling them that's the way it should go because we know, because we've worked in it and we've done it uh, and we've done it with, with the less than, you know, (laughs) we could have, you know, we got by with what we could until we could afford to do more. Right. I think there's a lot of wisdom too. I mean, I love hearing the fact that you guys borrowed a hundred thousand dollars, but in the beginning you only used like half of it. I think there's a lot of people go into things. I think one, they underestimate what they need 
or they overestimate mm-hmm. thinking they need everything to be brand new and they, you know, put themselves in a financial crunch where, you know, they just are borrowing too much. Um, but I like that you right. guys kind of went in, you used, you got used equipment and you had kind of some cushion in there. So if you had to go a little while to get your cash flow going or whatnot, or if you found out down the road that, Hey, like it really would be easier to have a bigger kettle to be able to do less turns that there was some money there to, you know, kind of help you do that. And, you know, I think money is always a tricky thing for people in terms of like, how do you find the, the sweet spot? But I think one of the most important things is really being kind of frugal with your dollars in the beginning, because you don't know what you don't know. And you're going to, there's going to be the inevitable things that you just overlook or whatnot, or you can't know until you're actually in the trenches. Yeah, right. it's, well, it's pretty incredible to think about it now looking back is that we did start with that because that included all the equipment we bought, building out the space, getting us started. Um, yeah, it was pretty incredible to think about that. And too, as our business grows, that kind of changes as well because um, with Pie Bar, that first day we generated revenue right away because we had pies. People came in and bought that pie and we immediately had money in the account from those transactions and going into pie provisions um, it's a totally different business. You have to invest the money up front and then that will sell eventually, you know, and you, yeah. you kind of got to fill the funnel. I think that that's a big one too, is if somebody wants to start a food business is really identifying that kind of go to market plan. So with pie bar, like Cody said, it was bake the pie, they buy the pie, bake another pie with pie provisions. It was not like that at all. It, the first really year of our business was, struggling with us figuring out like who is going to buy this stuff? Who's our customer and how do we reach them? And so um, the first year of pie provisions, we had one product and it was our pie crust mix. And we were very annoying to a lot of people because we did what I hate and we were cold calling people. We were cold emailing them and I would show up at their stores and say, Hey, would you consider carrying this? And from that, we were very fortunate. We were able to pick up a couple of large accounts. And because of that, it then gave our business kind of a bit of legitimacy and allowed us to kind of grow more and make some decisions that maybe we wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. But those large accounts, they don't always generate revenue, like Cody was saying. Like, sure, we're selling to them, but then are they selling it? And are they paying the same price of what we actually need to recoup? And and so I think that was a big lesson we learned was our first year, our idea of success was selling to these big box stores. And we were really fortunate. We got into to a couple of them. And then it they did okay, right? Like, I mean, we sold okay, but you're not seeing invoices paid immediately. Like you're seeing invoices paid 90 days later. And as a small business, you can't afford that. Right. So we were just curious, we were able to say, when you went into those big boxes, did they go with the price you gave them or did they negotiate with you? Yeah. Yes. And no. So, um, <laughs> cause that's always a thing, know, we, we you know, were, right. It's like, you know, right. what your costs are, you know, the margins you want to make, but they also know the margins they want to make. And they really know where their price point is that they want to sell it at. So, but, and they're not going to give up their profit margins. So did they kind of whittle you guys down or how'd that go? So we were fortunate to get in. So we got into uh, the fresh market and target, but we got into them locally, which is a little bit unusual. So we weren't dealing with somebody at the very top at corporate. We were able to kind of get into them just like you would 
at a small boutique store. So um, we found the manager at our local Target and talked to him, and he got on board and uh, got in that way. And then basically he said, okay, here's the manager at the Target the next town over. And then we did that. And then we did that, you know, six or seven more times. So fortunately we got in at our wholesale pricing. But for us, the way it worked was basically if they paid on time, they got a 2% discount um, off of that wholesale pricing. But it, like Warren said for that, and, and another thing you don't really consider with that is how long it takes to get into those stores. A lot of times it's a year in advance. You apply and submit your product, and it could be six or eight months before that cycle comes around where they're going to review your product. And then it might be another six or eight months um, before you actually get on the shelf, and then another 90 days after that before you actually get paid for it. Um, so for us, it just it didn't work with our business plan and our business model. So um, just like anything else, we've, we've kind of shifted that model and, and tried to adjust it to what makes more sense for our business. But Well, for- we've, we've pivoted, and I think that that's important to note, though, is like we found what most people would say is success very quickly in the sense of in a year we were in six or seven targets. We were in 10 or 12 fresh markets. Like we were in a position that if you were looking at our business, you thought they're doing great. But in reality, money wise, it wasn't great. And money is a huge part of a business. Right. So it's figuring out and accepting like, okay, well, this is going to hurt my pride a little bit to say like, well, we need to stop selling to these places but maybe that's the right call. And that was, I think, kind of a come to Jesus moment Cody and I had to have like, hey, we really like saying you can find our products at Target. But if we're not doing anything good based off of that, we're not making any money. We're not we're not reaching new customers. We're not getting to interact with people in these stores the way we want to. Maybe this isn't the right fit and we shouldn't do it just because it's cool to say that we're sold there. Right. And so we stopped, like we don't sell there anymore. We now sell at uh, like how many? I think we're in about 85 smaller boutiques. Yeah. So we're, we're really fortunate to get to work with small independently owned stores, just like us, just like Pi Bar. And we get to connect with them and their customers. Whereas in those big box stores, that wasn't necessarily our experience. Both of those stores and all the people we interacted with were fantastic. That was never an issue. We never had a problem with anybody on either of those teams. They were all great. It just isn't the same. There, There's just, when you go into a small boutique store, Sally owns it and Sally knows half of her customers. When you walk into a large big box retailer, it's just not the same feel. Right. And cash flow is king. And, you know, when you have you know, payment terms that they're not paying you for 90 days, that really can crush you. Not to mention that with some of those big box stores, their orders are large. And so to not get paid on a large order is, you know, painful. So I think it's, you know, yeah, super interesting that you guys were able to sit there because I can imagine that was probably hard to turn down, hard to say, hey, we're going to actually not sell here anymore because it's not working for us. Because it seems like such a leg up, but you really were realizing that it wasn't netting you what you needed. It didn't fit your business model. And that's a huge, you know, that takes a lot of courage to actually get to the point where you guys know who you are and can turn down something like that. Yeah, right. And and like I said, it, it, we were fortunate because it does help uh, 
with your credibility. Unfortunately, that's the way it is, but it helps from an outside perspective because perspective is reality. It helps kind of give credibility when you do get your foot in the door at those stores. But um, like I like, like said, it just didn't kind of fit. We were able to learn that that wasn't the best route for us. And just a quick question, out of curiosity, what did you guys major in when you were at Georgia College? I majored in political science. And I majored in business management. Okay. <laughs> so there's, there's some of the skills being used in both cases, one relationship-based and, and the politics of what goes into business, as you said, and the targets and, and the relationship piece, and then obviously the business management. I was just curious because you guys use a lot of terms that, um, are pretty spot on in, in describing the way your business works or the way the relationships work that um, that obviously it's either a learned thing or something you learned and have also used to, to propel yourselves. Um, so, and then my other yeah. question is, Cody, what were you doing when you, what job did, what kind of job did you leave when you started the uh, pie bar? Yeah, sure. So, um, and this is no knock on Georgia College, but I was fortunate to go into a small business, which I, uh, after after college, I hired on with a construction company that built refrigerated space. So the really big walk-in coolers and freezers for um, distribution warehouses. So um, I was hired on as a project manager for that company where I worked for three years before we started, which really helped me because um, there, we, there were six of us in the company and then we hired out a bunch of subcontractors, but what it did was put me in the mindset of in a small business, everybody does everything and you have a title, but if the floors need to be swept, you sweep the floors or, you know, if you are writing contracts, you get to write contracts, but you, you kind of wear all of the hats. So, you know, I went to school and got my business management degree, which kind of gave me that foundation, but um, really learned what small business was about by just being a part of one um, and kind of understanding relationships and people and, and finances and, and kind of what it takes to be a part of that business. Yeah. I was just curious because I'm, I, I felt like there was probably some background there cause you guys really nailed it with, with the way you did business and all that. And you said not the entrepreneurial backgrounds, but I was just curious because I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And so, um, Let's talk about pie provisions a little bit more because I love what you're doing with the packaging and things like that. But before we answer that question, could you tell the audience the address of the pie bar and where they can find you guys on social media and on the internet? Sure. So pie bar is located at 8720 Main Street in downtown Woodstock, Georgia. You can find us online. Um, if you just search Pi Bar Woodstock, it'll usually take you directly to our website. On Instagram, it's pi underscore bar. And I believe on Facebook, it's order Pi Bar. But if you just look up Pi Bar Woodstock, you're generally able to find us across all channels. Um, both myself and then we've got a couple of people on our team here at the shop love being able to kind of chat with people online. So generally if people send questions or comments or any type of remarks, we're going to get back to you pretty quickly. So definitely hit us up there. We love chatting with people and we love it when they come to the store as well. It's impressive. I actually just looked it up on Instagram, the pie bar, cause I had followed pie provisions, but I hadn't followed the pie bar yeah. yet, but you have 8,600 followers. That's no small feat. I mean, that's impressive. No, it, and- 
Thank you. And that's something, honestly, we we try and be really cognizant of the idea. And I think as a small business, it's really important to understand like that number doesn't define your business. However, there is just like you said, like there is a, a factor in our society where we value that. And so for us, it's figuring out a way to continue to grow that number, but not to not to discontinue our engagement. I think a lot of times as companies grow larger, they stop checking in with their followers and they stop engaging with them and, and trying to participate with them. And for me, that's not what we want to do. We want to grow so that we can reach more people so that people can, again, enjoy that nostalgia of pie, not just so we can have a specific number beside our name. Yeah. And I'll say it's a great medium and a way to get in touch with, um, fans and followers and people that love the shop. But we also, too, we understand that at any moment, Instagram or Facebook or anybody else for that matter can change their algorithm or go away. So we understand that's a vital part of our business, but but try and make, um, try and connect as much as possible inside our shop as well. Yeah, and I want to say two things. The first part is I want to put out a disclaimer here that I'm not responsible for anyone's cell phone or this podcast not when they go to your <laughs> your thing and they drool over their phone and ruin it. We're disclaiming that that's not our responsibility. I know. I'm looking at pi underscore bar and I'm looking at six days ago and it says I had a dream last night that chocolate and peanut butter <laughs> got married and I'm like, oh my God, that's like heaven on earth right there. Uh, they're still together. <laughs> Are they? It's a fabulous story. I, I understand the love story there. And, and my the second part that I want to say is that what you're talking about is that I don't. I think people emphasize social media so much, and it is a way of doing things. But like you said, if you don't get emails or build uh, firsthand relationships, face to face relationships, that you know you're right. They can change the algorithm like they did a few years ago, which really changed the way mm-hmm. all the social media was done and the way people were able to get, you know, a lot more followers a lot more quickly and, and build a company. You know, I remember five years ago being able to get forty thousand followers for one of our company like it was nothing, and using the same test tactics now for the podcast. While we have you know are in thirty nine countries and and have you know tens of thousands of downloads. It's it's still the following and trying to get followers is a completely different game than it was five years ago when I did it. And so, you know, the relationship is actually in um, in how you deal with people and how you answer their questions. And, you know, for, for me, it's the same thing. It's like I need to make sure I answer everyone's comments or questions and I make sure I email them back or respond to their comments on social media and try to build a personal relationship with them. Uh, through the podcast and the questions. And it's the same thing you guys are doing. You know, the pie bar has so many followers because people not only love your products, but they love who you guys are and you're the face of it. And so here's my next question. You know, go ahead. And then I'll ask. I'm sorry. Our, our microphone cut out a little bit. I think social media is a amazing tool. It gives us an opportunity to connect with people whether they're here in front of us or not, I just think that we try and be really careful and cognizant that this isn't our only tool. So it is one of the tools in the bag, but it's not the only tool in the bag. We're not going to rely solely on social media to get information about our businesses out. We're going to use that as a platform to show people very quickly, here's who we are. Here's kind of our online magazine that look at us and, and see like, 
we really value these specific items. But when it comes down to like truly connecting with people and, and making sure that they feel engaged with and, and heard, we really try and still do that face-to-face or um, in-store, whether it's here or when we go and do our samplings in other stores to make sure that we're connecting with people on that. It, it's funny to say like that old school connection way of like yeah. actually being in front of them. <laughs> what is it? Uh, IRL in real yes, life? Yes, in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's so true. I mean, there's nothing that actually replaces the relationship in We've talked a little bit about on some of the podcasts that, you know, the farther we steer away from just email or only communicating through, you know, direct message or Snapchat or whatever, we're losing those personal relationships and people don't stay loyal to businesses without personal relationships. And what people don't realize is that people are willing to spend more money or have a better relationship with someone they trust and they can see all the time. And that trust is built through that personal face-to-face relationship. I mean, we're still that type of, of people are humans. We're still human and we still need those relationships. And it's just one of those things that without, and the farther we get away from it, you know, the less, you know, people jump business and there's not loyalty and, and things like that, but that all comes down to the relationships we build. It's so true. And I think it's really easy for us to see in our business, just as simply as we'll have a product in somebody's store, say a couple towns over, and it'll sell mildly well, it'll do okay. But then we'll go to the store and do a sampling and it'll sell okay while we're there sampling. But generally, they'll see between the sampling and then following the sampling, higher sales, like higher sales on those items because people had the opportunity to engage with us. That's not saying like Cody and I are incredibly charming and fantastic. That's (laughs) saying that people connect, you know, like people connect with other people and they're excited to support something that you're excited about. Your product is no longer just a product on a shelf. Your product has a face and a name and, and a backstory, which is something that we use social media as a tool to try and convey, but it probably and hopefully will never replace that face-to-face connection. I mean, that's so much of what's happening in today's world is people really want to know. They want to know where their food's coming from. They want to know the farmer who grew it. They want to know the people who make it. And I think when you guys are able to go out there and let them meet you face-to-face, I mean, that's a whole QVC thing too. We have a client who just recently was on QVC and you know, the whole thing is, is, I mean, obviously you have to have an amazing product to be able to get on a show like that, but you also, they want you to have a story, you know, that's like the second most important thing to them and getting, when people attach to you, they also can attach to your product because they then are like, when people are like, Oh my God, this is amazing. If they're at your house eating it or whatever, they're like, Oh yeah, well you have to hear this story. And I met this couple and they're so great. And this is what they do. And you know, you can find them down on main street and you know, so I think people really love that human connection, especially in a world today where yeah. so much of life has gone towards social media and whatnot, and people aren't as connected. So I think when they really get to meet you, they love getting to, you know, say, oh, I know them, I met them. And so, but that's a lot of time for you guys to go out there and be seen. And I mean, it's one thing to do it in your store because you're there and you're having to do production and whatnot, but it's a whole nother thing when you have to go out and about. I also saw that yeah, you guys do your, your cooking classes, and that's a cool way, too, for people to get to know you, or your baking classes. Yeah, those are really fun. They're a great way to kind of engage with people and, and show them 
we're not just here to sell you something. We're here to kind of create an experience around pie. So those are always really fun. So I wanted to ask you guys, so, I mean, one of the big hurdles for people, um, it's one thing for you guys to bake your pies and sell them as people walk in, um, but it's a whole nother thing to sell it in a retail setting where you have to actually deal with all of the regulatory compliance, you have to deal with the labeling and all of that. So maybe can you talk a little bit um, to the audience about what that process was for you guys, if you needed to reach out to other people to help find your way through all of that to actually bringing that product to market? Cause it's, it's very different in terms of what you actually have to do and what's required. Yeah. So, um, with our first product, which was our pine crust mix, we used a co-packer, um, in Atlanta. So they were able to help us with that kind of guide us in the right direction. And they already had a facility that fell within the FDA requirements. Um, and then, so we, we just went on and bought uh, our barcode and then, uh, I used an online company for our nutritional facts and our nutritional labels, so I was able to go in. And our pie crust mix is um, a pretty simple, clean ingredient, so there wasn't a lot to it in terms of making sure the ingredients were there and then serving size. And then um, the company we use, you can pay a little extra money, and they'll look it over for you and uh, give you some suggestions on maybe you should change this or adjust this. Um, so our pie crust mix was pretty simple, but it kind of gave us an opportunity to to see what it took to get things into market and what that looked like from a product standpoint. And then as we moved into jar fillings, it kind of gave us a head start. On that, that's that kind like. of, yeah, where I think we hit our first snag. So dry ingredient products, obviously there's still work involved, but it was not nearly as challenging as um, a canned product. I would have never thought that there were so many regulations around a canned product, but there truly are. And so when it was time to kind of get those to market, we had to figure out what are the appropriate steps. And the best resource for us was the University of Georgia. They have a food science program and they are amazing. Their team is so awesome. They dealt with all of my hysterical phone calls. Athens is probably two hours from here and I would just drive there and they would see me (laughs) because you have to be really careful when you're canning. You have to make sure, especially if it's an acidified food product, that it's canned properly so that you're not endangering the people that are enjoying your product. So we had to um, get all of our stuff essentially redone where now our kitchen is FDA certified so we can can it here ourselves as before we actually had to have somebody on site and can in a different location. So it's just figuring out and calling and asking questions. I called UGA and they told me everything. And then when I had questions about the FDA, I called them too. And and, <laughs> and not being afraid to ask. I right. think a lot of times people get really scared about asking that they're going to come across as silly or stupid or get in trouble. And the majority of people are wanting to see you succeed and be helpful. And then the people that aren't kind and the people that make you feel, the people that make you feel belittled aren't worth your time anyways. So I generally say move on. We've had (laughs) our share of those as well. We're all calling, ask questions and they'll laugh. And it's like, okay, well, you're not the right fit for me. (laughs) So I'm going to move on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to move on to somebody who, actually is kind and cares. And so um, UGA, when I call them and say like, here are all my issues, what do I do? 
they are able to walk me through the steps. They're obviously not going to like hold my hand on every little thing, but they're able to say, okay, you have to take this class and pass it. Here are the dates. They're not going to register me for it. I still have to like be my own independent person and register and attend and pass it. Right. And then they say, okay, while you're here, you're going to meet the guy who's responsible for this with the FDA. And so great. I'm able to sit in front of him and ask him questions that maybe people wouldn't feel super comfortable about because they're scared they're going to get in trouble or, or people are going to make fun of them. And it's like, you know what? I, I am going to ask these things so I can make sure I'm doing it correctly. And the people that matter, the FDA and UGA and Department of Ag, they value that. They value that I cared and that all of these other people cared enough to ask to do it correctly. Yeah, and I'll say, too, it was kind of by design. So we started with the pie crust mix um, just because that was the easiest first step. Um, we knew going into it that that crust mix alone is not a very se- sexy product because <laughs> you still need something to go with it. You know, there's not a lot of color like there. I mean, a natural first step would have been to go into the fillings where we had multiple skews and different colors and it's just an easier sell. But like Lauren just mentioned, going into canning is a lot more difficult. So just like starting pie bar and buying used equipment and starting slow, that's the same thing we did with pie provisions um, with starting our pie crust mix first. And so how did you guys get around, or like how did you figure out in terms of when you got to the pie fillings, uh, like shelf life and things like that? Do you have to use any additives to extend your shelf life, or is it through your canning that you're able to get shelf life? How did you work around some of those yeah. topics? You learn about all of that in that certification. So there's a thing called Better Processing School, or it's Better Home Processing School. Um, most states, I believe, probably their university system offers a course like this. It's taught by the school, so it's not cheap. It's an investment in yourself. I think it was probably four or $500. Um, but that is like a two- to three-day intensive course where they go through everything. Then you also have to get all of those products tested Fortunately for us, UGA also does those testings. So you just pay, it's like a hundred bucks per SKU and they test a lot of those things for you. So they're going to tell you generally like, yes, you can serve this. Your water content is low enough or no, you can't serve this. Your bricks isn't high enough. So all of those things I learned by taking that course and then things that was kind of the best route for me for these specific products. Um, obviously other things, I mean, I couldn't tell you what, like a hummus, how long that would last, but there's somebody out there who sells hummus that is willing to share that information. With you. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like, like when, when I was ready to make our fillings, we started doing them as jams and I was able to ask tons of people. We sell at America's Mart, which is a, like a local here in Atlanta trade show. And there's tons of people there selling jams. And even though mine was a pie crust or pie filling mix, I was building them based off of the same building boxes you would do a jam. So I was able to say, what is your shelf life? What does that look like? And then building off of that information. When we switched over to being an acidified food product that changed a lot of um, the way we had to build things and, and like the recipe building on it. We had to make sure that we were hitting certain numbers and, and pH levels. But again, it was figuring out like, well, what is appropriate? What is everyone else doing? What is UGA telling me I need to hit? And then following those guidelines and then tracking all of that information. So as you guys approach new product lines or things like that, do any of those factors, things you've learned, 
steer you away from certain products because you're like, that would be too complicated. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, we don't have a, a, a ton of uh, financial backing in terms of that. So all of that plays its role. I mean, there's a lot of strategy into what we put out. And then honestly, is it sustainable? Can we get those fruits you know, year around, or is this only going to be a seasonal product? And if it's going to be a seasonal product, is it going to be worth spending all that time and effort in developing the label and having it tested? Um, so all of that goes into account. And, you know, like I said, uh, if we're constantly doing cost analysis and making sure that um, it's going to be profitable for us because we are a business. Um, so we need all of that goes into account. Um, so do you guys source all of the fruits locally then as it's, I mean, you mentioned going out to, uh, buying blueberries in in Waynesboro, but is that how you source all of your products or is it, it, it's easy enough to go to the locals farmers market and pick up the products just, I mean, cause you, as your company grows, you have to source quite a bit of produce. Right. And that's been a challenge that we've been able over the past four years to kind of work with. Um, our local producers here, but then also kind of expanding and growing and figuring out truly like where are they going to have enough to be able to sell to me? And then also being realistic. A lot of times when you're buying in bulk and bigger items, you get a price discount. And so is it worth it for these small farmers to sacrifice a specific amount of price just to sell to me when they could sell it at their fruit stands to somebody else at a higher price point? So we want to be respectful on both ends and make sure thing from people that we believe in, but that we're also honoring and respecting that they also need to be able to make a living off of what they're selling. So our blueberries, our Bynes blueberries, that is something we are so proud of and hopefully will never change. Mr. Bynes, Bynes Blueberry Farms is amazing and they've got a pretty big uh, production going on. So fortunately for us, we're matching there. there. There's not been any issues of them not having product or, or us not being able to buy product. Um, our peaches, we source from a couple of different farms around the state. So um, this past season, when we did the ginger peach, we were able to source from Pearson, Dickey and Lane. And those are three pretty big peach houses in South Georgia. Um, I'm sure that one actually was one of our best sellers this past summer. So I'm sure we'll be doing lots of those this year. Fortunately, we're in Georgia and peaches are generally a plenty from about mid-May um, through July, sometimes into August. I know this past year when we were doing our final big canning push, we had to buy a big old pallet. And um, I think Pearson was like completely sold out. I think Lane may have been getting close. And so we were able to fortunately reach out to Dickey Farms and they were able to come through. So fortunately, peaches work out well in Georgia because there's so many options and they're all delicious, which is great. Um, our pecans, we source from Pearson Farms, which again is a, a large operation. We're not in a issue there where we're having to worry about them running out of pecans. They, they've kind of got that covered um, and they just grow awesome Georgia grown pecans and we've used them since we've opened. Um, and then cherries are the only ones we source outside of Georgia. Sadly, they just don't grow here. Our, our, it's a bit too warm and we don't have enough cold days. So our cherries come from Michigan. Those are the only ones that we're not calling up the, the farm itself and saying, hey, can you ship this down? We're actually calling a distributor and the distributor sources those for us. 
You know, I really love hearing that you guys go uh, direct to the farmers on most of your ingredients because mm-hmm. it's really, a, I don't know, I, I love, I mean, we talk a lot, uh, Justin and I are part of a logistics group in the state of Georgia trying to figure out how to streamline processes. So when I hear that people are doing exactly what you're doing, and kind of cutting out some of those middlemen, it ultimately is making it so that the farmer can make a little more, you guys can make a little more, and that the end user can save a little bit because it's a right. lot of money gets spent on one, the transporting of all these products, and then two, mm-hmm. every middleman that's in there is taking a cut and adding to the cost of these products. And so I, I think it's great that you guys are really going direct to the source to get a lot of your ingredients. That's a you know, a big one. Some things it's harder to do, you know, like if you're buying flour right. and things like that, but sometimes you can do it if, depending on where you're located and where those production facilities are. Yeah. And we're fortunate that here in Georgia, there are so many really great producers. So it's not like we're in a place that's um, like starving for really great produce. We're able to pretty readily look it up. And then our department of agriculture does a really great job of highlighting all of those individuals. So you can go to Georgia department of agriculture's website and see what farms sell what at what time, which is really special and really cool and a great resource. That's free. Right. Huge leg up for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that resource by the way. And I actually have their whole book also. They, they do a big <laughs> printout and it tells you each County and what they grow and when they, their harvest time. And I'm like, it's one of the most amazing things doing food in the state of Georgia of any sort, even beverages, because you can literally predict your whole seasonality and what's going to be available there locally and just at your fingertips based on where you are regionally or where you need to pull from to fill this time. And, you know, blueberries, for example, they um, they grow in Georgia, but they just the more north you get you know, the different, the time is the windows a little bit different. So you really get this like four to five month window. Um, and it's pretty amazing. Although blueberries are great cause you can freeze them also, but that yeah, those said, actually we were able to get year round because of that. Mr. Bine is able to freeze them. And so we are able to buy them frozen and they're IQF. So they're really great, high quality. And we're able to have blueberry pie now 12 months out of the year where, um, like, unfortunately, peaches we can't do just because they don't freeze as beautifully as those blueberries do. And I have so many more questions. So I definitely want to get you guys on a second episode here soon because I think we covered a lot, but I think there's so much more to do. So I'd love to do a part two with you guys and record somewhat soon if you guys don't mind. So would you be be willing to do that? Because I think there's a lot of information. You guys have a great story. So I would love to get you guys set up and just do a part two right away. Um, But as we end here, um, and my final question is, I would love for you guys to tell us a little bit about your Flavor of Georgia experience uh, since you guys were the winners of uh, the confections category. I believe it was the confections category, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, so it was so much fun. I We had never taken part in Flavor of Georgia, so it was really exciting to be able to be around all of these people who have similar passions to ours, which is creating really high-quality products and then highlighting a place that we're so proud to be a part of, which is Georgia. We knew when we entered that we wanted to enter our Georgia Blueberry because when people hear Georgia... And peaches are great. We have amazing peaches in Georgia, But I just find that our blueberries are so underrated. We have amazing (laughs) blueberries. And I think that also has been spoiled 
oil by Mr. Bine, but I really wanted to create Georgia blueberry for the idea of like one, it always gets people to stop and they say, shouldn't that be Georgia peach? And it gives me a chance <laughs> to kind of brag on our blueberries a little bit, but two, it was just a great way to highlight something that we're so proud of, which is that blueberry pie. So it was a fun experience. We got to go and meet all of these people and serve blueberry, which as you got to enjoy the little blueberry itty bitty pies and kind of preach about how Georgia blueberries rock and and how we want to put them into pies as much as we can. (laughs) Well, I think it's awesome. And thank you guys again for, for coming on the episode and taking the time. I mean, I really love your story and I really want to continue to tell it right away. So thank you guys again. Yeah, thank you for having us. And definitely just let us know what works for you and we'll get set up for the second part. Excellent. And anyone in the audience who loves the story and and loves what the podcast is representing, please share it. Please tell people to listen in. If you're obviously anywhere near um, the pie bar, I think anyone should stop in. Check it out on social media. The pies are amazing. I'm still a little bit of saliva in my mouth from drooling because I was just looking (laughs) at the social media. So... Uh, please check it out, you know, go there, look at what they're doing in Woodstock, Georgia, uh, stop by, order the pie provisions uh, online. I know you can order it from your store online as well. And so I mm-hmm. think that what you guys there are doing is great. And, and thank you everyone for listening in. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, it's Justin at the com. in the audience. If you want to be on the show or have questions and comments, or even want to know where they can get a get the product, the, any of the pie products, I'd be happy to share it with anyone. Uh, also, you can reach us on social media at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. And thank you for everyone listening in. And I can't wait to record part two. So everyone have a great day. Bye.